Hello, and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Divini. I am the lead pastor at Asbury. And I hope that this podcast will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and I hope it will be entertaining for you as well. Because Bible study should never be dull. Um, I'm gonna. This is gonna be my last podcast on the Book of Isaiah. Because if you are following along in our Bible reading plan, as I am recording this on Monday, October the twenty third, uh, we will have finished reading the Book of Isaiah. We'll be starting the Book of Jeremiah. So next week's podcast will begin uh, looking at Jeremiah, and then once we are into November, I'm going to preach on Jeremiah some as well, uh, once we're on the other side of our stewardship campaign. If you want to uh, dive more into the book of Isaiah, come to my Wednesday night Bible study, where we are looking at, uh, well, the book of Isaiah, but it's the, uh, it is specifically the Epic of Eden study on Isaiah by the great Dr. Sandra Richter, uh, who is one of, I think, the most interesting and entertaining Old Testament scholars whose work I have read. Uh, she has some great stuff out there, so by all means, come to that. Um, let's dive in. I want to talk about um, the the second part of Isaiah. So Isaiah is generally sort of divided in two. You have Isaiah 1 through 39, and you have Isaiah 40 through 66. Now Isaiah 1 through 39, typically, I mean, the, the, these are going to be general generalizations because in, in both parts, you have all kinds of different themes, but the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are largely um, warnings of impending judgment. Um, and they are warnings of the coming exile. And remember, Isaiah is a preacher, so these, these are actually like his sermons that are being recorded, and aren't you glad I don't preach like he did? Um, and then, so the, the, yes, yeah, so the first part of the book, judgment, Warnings. The second part of the book is, well, let me just, I mean, Isaiah 40 starts off this way. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and all the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This great, awesome prophecy about the return from exile, the end of the exile. God speaking words of comfort to his people and preparing the way for not just the people, but for God to return to the promised land. And so the second half of this book is, uh, now there are some judgment passages in here, but it is largely um, about restoration and healing, the other side of, of judgment, because God's judgment is never the final thing. You have the judgment and the punishment and then the restoration. And so the second half of the book is this really wonderful, beautiful, kind of comforting thing. 
And uh, some of the most beautiful passages of the Old Testament are, are here in the final 26 chapters of Isaiah. And again, there's some rough ones in there too, but for the most part, um, you, you get all these passages about how God is going to restore and redeem his people. And you're going to get a lot of Messianic passages too. One of my absolute favorites is uh, here in Isaiah 52, starting in verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Oh, I love, I love that passage. I mean, there's so much good stuff in there, right? I just love that poetry of how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, right? No one thinks feet are beautiful unless you're the one bringing good news. And the good news is that your God reigns. This is tied into the, the release from exile, the, the downfall of Babylon, the great evil empire, and just, which is just destroyed by the Persians. And if you know anything of the history, it's kind of shockingly quick how, how the, the, the Persian conquest of Babylon is like the blink of an eye. Your God reigns. And so the rest of that passage is just all this incredible joy over how God himself reigns and God himself is active in the world and God has set the captives free. Right, The Lord has bared his holy arm. And I love this because like so much of Isaiah, it's, it's, a, it's a referencing specific historical events. There's a whole lot of Isaiah that is referencing both the exile and the return to exile. But there's another layer to it because Isaiah was a genius, a brilliant, brilliant preacher. Because the other layer to it, of course, is the hope for the future fulfillment of all God's promises in Jesus. For the future return of Jesus after his resurrection. I mean, my God, it's not hard to look at the news today and, and long for the day when the Lord will bear his holy arm and all the nations will see and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It's not hard to long for the day when the Lord will comfort his people and redeem Jerusalem again. Especially given the events that are happening around Jerusalem right now and I'll just as a just want to pause for a minute there and point out that we're not talking all these people who post things on the internet about how we need to we need to support Israel because the Bible talks about how 
uh, all these end times prophecies are related to the state of Israel. That's complete and utter nonsense. Those people have no idea what they're talking about, for one thing, um, because they've taken metaphorical passages and made them literal because they, they are too lazy to do good theology. Um, but but more importantly, if you if the only reason your heart breaks for Israel right now, if the only reason why you are outraged by the actions of, of Hamas and want to support uh, justice being brought to those people is that you want the end times prophecies to be fulfilled, you are not following Jesus. If your heart doesn't break because of the, the slaughter of innocent people, children, and elderly people, if your heart doesn't break over the images of toddlers being kidnapped by armed gunmen and held hostage in, in a war zone, uh, I'm sorry, but I question your faith in Christ if, that's, if that does not break your heart. Um, you, you don't need end times prophecies to be uh, devastated by this and to be calling for justice. But we can extrapolate from this too. This is hardly the only place in the world where such horrific things are happening. Bear in mind, there is still war in the Ukraine. There, there is still the, the most devastating, violent war Europe has seen since World War II is still going on right now. Evil is pushing the boundaries all around the world. Evil is pushing its boundaries everywhere. Which brings me to Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fires kindled brushwood, and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. What a prayer. What a prayer for us to use in this day and age. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and the nations would tremble at your presence, God. That should be the cry of our heart when we see things like this happening. Because here's the deal. we would all probably agree that Israel is fully justified in invading Gaza and in, in, in going to great lengths to tear down Hamas. But as they are doing that, they are also continuing uh, to expand illegal settlements in the West Bank, to displace families who've lived there for generations. And, and no matter how hard they try, and, and to be clear, the, the Israeli Defense Force is... Uh, they really do uphold the international laws of war. They, they go out of their way to avoid civilian casualties. They're scrupulous about that. But it's unavoidable in war. There are going to be non-combatants who are killed. There are going to be children who will never see their mothers again. There will be uh, mothers who will never see their children again, none of whom are a part of the fighting. And I, I put that responsibility squarely on Hamas because they... They insist on hiding amongst civilians and stockpiling weapons amongst civilians and firing their weapons from amongst civilians. And so it's all on them. But all that goes to show that our human solutions, our human attempts to bring justice 
no matter how justified they may be, no matter how necessary they may be, they will always leave something to be desired. They will always fall short of what God's justice could be. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. that the nations would tremble in the presence of our mighty God. It's okay for us to pray that kind of prayer, to, to, to pray that desperate prayer that we wish God would just step down to earth, that his enemies would tremble at the sight of his majesty. Because we long for that day when it really does happen, when Jesus returns, when the veil is torn away and all the world will see that he is the king. I'm going to skip ahead to Isaiah 65. One of the things I always want to harp on whenever I get the chance is that we have to correct this idea that has crept into Western Christianity that, um, that our faith is all about escaping, that, that our hope is that we'll die and Jesus will take our souls away to heaven to be there forevermore and we'll live this disembodied existence forever. Because that's, that's actually heresy. I mean, that, that, that is really related to a heresy called Gnosticism that was denounced very early on in the church's history. Um, it's not taught anywhere in the Bible. The Bible insists insists that what's actually going to happen is we will wait with Jesus in heaven until the day of our resurrection and we will be restored to life here on earth to physical embodied life in resurrection bodies that God will create a new heavens and a new earth and we will dwell with him forever there it will be much like the garden of Eden creation will work the way God always intended and see, I say that, and then people say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, it's right here in Isaiah 65. It is even in the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament idea. It is in the Old Testament, Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and no more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. 
The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So here you have it. In the book of Isaiah, this incredible prophecy of, a, of God's future for his people, for all who will serve him faithfully. Now, of course, Isaiah is interpreting this as largely the Jewish people, which is why he mentions Jerusalem so much. But what we know in the New Testament is that we are now God's chosen people. All who believe in Jesus are now God's people. We are the blessed of the Lord. We will inherit the new heavens and the new earth in our resurrection bodies. See, our religion is not about escaping the world God made, because the world God made is good. Our sin is what broke it. And God, in his goodness and in his mercy, is going to fix that. Not just to restore it, but to make it even better. To unite heaven and earth in a way that they have not been united before. He will make new all the world. In the same way that our resurrection bodies will be in some way the same as our bodies now, but made better, impervious. The language that Paul uses is animated by the Spirit. That's how all creation will be. It will be much like what we have now, but perfected. Filled with the glory and the presence and the light of God. Paul uses this language in the New Testament all the time of the Spirit versus the flesh. And it's one of the reasons why Christians have been so confused on this idea. Um, because... That, that particular Greek phrasing is kind of hard to render into English. Um, because he's not talking about this dichotomy of spirit versus flesh. He's not, he's not talking about how we will live forever, on forever in the spirit. He's, the best way to explain it is he's talking about what animates our body. And our current bodies are animated purely by the flesh, by us. But our resurrection bodies will be animated by God's spirit. The Holy Spirit. It becomes the driving force that sustains us. That's how our resurrection bodies are impervious to age and disease and, and, and injury and all the things that drag us down in this life. So there you have it, right here in the second to last chapter of Isaiah. This proclamation that God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth where we will all dwell with God in his new creation in joy and happiness. That's the promised future. When we talk about how we want God to rend the heavens and come down, what we're really saying is, God, we want, we want you to bring that future about right now. Oh, that you would just bring that promised future to us right here and right now. And so that's essentially how the book of Isaiah ends with these prophecies about what God is going to do. Is look, you know what God has done. You know how you've responded. You know how you've failed. And here's the good news. This is why 
That's why Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel, because he has good news to tell. The good news is the Messiah is going to come. The good news is God is going to fix these problems. The good news is God is going to write his law on your hearts so that you are no longer capable of breaking it. That's the good news. And that's the book of Isaiah. We'll be back next week with a podcast on Jeremiah. Similar but different. Uh, Jeremiah is written in a different style. It's, um, it's, it, there's more narrative to it. It's, the sermons are broken up with more narrative than you see in Isaiah. And there's a bit less about the Messiah coming. Um, but there is a lot of good stuff in Jeremiah, so I'm looking forward to that next week. Until then, God bless.